This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by the Reformed African American Network. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. And my co-host, as always, or at least most of the time, is our president and founder <laughs> of RAN Network. And that is Mr. Jamar Tisby. How you doing? Man, you're right to say at least most of the time because I've missed a scintillating conversation that you and Bo York recorded about the Black Panther superhero. And I'm kind of mad about that, but I'm trying not to let that affect <laughs> my conversation today. <laughs> we hate we, we couldn't have you on that podcast, um, but that podcast is coming out soon, so you guys be on the lookout for that. Um, but Jamar, there's going to be a movie coming out in 2018, and Lord willing, Ren, Ren and Pastor Mike will still be around for you to give adequate, ample commentary to that. Hey, man, if we can, if we need to interview the actor, shoot, shoot for that the movie. That would, that would be crazy. Wow. Okay. I never even thought about that until you said it. <laughs> Look, why not? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay. All right. Bo, right. Take, make, a, make a note of that. That's interesting. <laughs> Just open up the floodgates. I love it. Okay. So uh, in the past week or so, we have had a very interesting time in evangelical um, Christianity in America. Um, when it comes specifically to the political ideologies, political elections, we touched on a little bit in our last episode uh, that Donald J. Trump is now the presumptive Republican nominee um, for the presidential election coming up in November. And that has led to a lot of campaigns on Twitter, uh, hashtag never Trump. Um, that's led to um, a lot of reaction, maybe some doubling down, maybe some uh, softening of some hardline stances that have been taken. Uh, but uh, Dr. Russell Moore did not mince any words in the New York Times, did he? <laughs> no, he didn't. And this guy is the master of one-liners. I'll tell you what, he he has some great lines. If you look back at his material on the cross and the Confederate flag, he has some amazing one-liners in there. And then just, well, so he, he wrote this opinion in the New York Times called A White Church No More. This is May 6, 2016. And I mean, just the fact of this article, I think, is major. So you have the spokesperson, the most vocal and prominent spokesperson in terms of public theology for the largest Protestant denomination in the country, the, the Southern Baptist Convention. Russ mm -hmm. Moore uh, headlines the ERLC, Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission, and they're sort of the public policy arm of the SBC. So you have this conservative, white, evangelical, whatever that means, who was in the New York Times giving his opinion, not only on Donald Trump, but on the church. And so, like I was saying, some of his, his, his material is just so rich and concise. Uh, this, is, this is one line that really stuck out to me. Um, 
a white American Christian who disregards native, nativist language is in for a shock. The man on the throne in heaven is a dark-skinned, Aramaic-speaking foreigner who is probably not at all impressed by chance of make America great again. Mm-hmm. And he's just dropping bombs. But to lead into it, I mean, the whole catalyst for it, part of the whole catalyst for it, is Donald Trump being the presumptive nominee. And he says, as of this week, the nation the nation faces, faces a crazier election season than many of us ever imagined with Donald J. Trump as the all but certain nominee of the Republican Party. Regardless of the outcome in November, his campaign is forcing American Christians to grapple with some scary realities that will have implications for years to come. So, yeah, that that post, that uh, article in the New York Times garnered a lot of attention. What did you think of yeah. it? Well, I thought it was uh, I thought it was definitely interesting, and I thought it was good. Um, <laughs> in, in, in some aspects, no, I I think it was good, and uh, yeah, I just want to start off by saying I really appreciate Dr. Russell Moore and the emphasis that he has had. Um, that's really been much different from previous. I don't want to. I don't know if administrations is the correct word of yeah. the the ERLC, um, but but previous leaders have not taken the same stances that he has on a number of social issues, um, and it's really been helpful to listen to him talk about um, racial reconciliation. It's been helpful for him to talk about um, uh, relationships with our neighbors and such in his book Onward, uh, which the subtitle of that is engaging the culture without losing the gospel. Uh, which is a really important read, and I would recommend that people people check that out. Uh, it's a great uh, primer for how to engage the culture in 2016 uh, for Christians um, on a number of issues. Now, I will say, I think that there were certain things that maybe the article could have gone a little bit further in. Um, I mm-hmm. think that there may have been certain things that um, were understated and certain things that may have been a little overstated. Um, just particularly the you know the concept that Yes, I believe that there is a changing of the guard, so to speak, in, I don't know if a changing of the guard, but a diversifying of, you know, evangelicalism, American Christianity, but it is still very much in many ways monolithic and um, monoethnic in a lot of ways. So I think some of that may have been a little bit overstated. Um, I also think that certain certain comments about the multi-ethnic church while I certainly believe in it, and I believe that that's something that is um, very helpful uh, for the cause of the gospel, may have been a little overstated as well as being kind of making it seem as though those are the only churches growing, those are the only churches that are thriving. Um, but you know, with my minor quibbles aside, I wasn't the only person who had some who had thoughts and comments <laughs> on it. But with with my minor quibbles aside, um, I think it was good, uh, definitely good that something that. Many people in the South, were in you know where I live, have shared and have talked about. So on that, it's a win. And you even did an article kind of talking about our general responses to our white Christian brothers and sisters who talk about yeah. these things, albeit imperfectly. Okay, so there's many layers that are attached to this. Obviously, right. there's the article itself, and we can kind of critique it. Which, by the way, I thought I thought the beginning was a little bit meandering, I would say. And Rusmore really gets to the point toward the second half of the article when he sure. says, when many secular Americans think of evangelicals, they think of old white precinct captains in Iowa 
or old white television evangelists and their media empires. And then he goes on to say, the center of gravity for both orthodoxy and evangelism is not among Anglo-suburban evangelicals, but among African, Anglicans, and Asian Calvinists and Latin American Pentecostals, the wow, vital core. Would you look at that? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yo, would you look at that? You know? Um, <laughs> The vital core of American evangelicalism today can be found in churches that are multi-ethnic and increasingly dominated by immigrant communities. And so I, I, I thought, and then and then from there he goes on just to describe the, the multi-ethnic nature of the global church, which I think is spot on. Um, it seems like he takes a good bit of time and throws in Trump there and, and this story about uh, a declining Southern Baptist church in an urban area. I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure how all that tied in. So that's one layer. You can you can talk about the article itself, but then you can talk about the reaction to the article, which was very interesting. So yes. a very prominent racial justice activist, Christina Cleveland, who is the head of the Duke Center for Racial Reconciliation, doing mm-hmm. great work just thinking through it, the dynamics of race in America. Um, mm-hmm. She 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 was like on Twitter basically was was like why is everybody celebrating this and she mm-hmm. went on to post several over half a dozen different tweets critiquing the article and many people both particularly African Americans were were sort of in her amen corner and saying let's not celebrate the fact that this guy has written an article when there's so much more work to do in terms right. of racial reconciliation and racial justice within Christianity so I mean how did you respond to kind of the, you 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 tweeted out something I thought was hilarious and accurate you said that this debate sort of had the feel of Captain America Civil War Team Cat versus Team Iron Man. Well, yeah, not not in the in the in the vitriol and not in the violence, but more so in just the competing ideologies, right? So two two people, I think, aiming for the same goal, but having you know strongly different methods and ways in which they would accomplish that goal, right? So so in that way, uh, you know, I was merely making jest and capitalizing upon the moment um, because there just seemed to be a very stark divide with great voices on both sides and people who saw things differently in love and may have disagreed on certain things. But as far as Christina Cleveland and and what she tweeted, I resonated with it um, quite quite significantly. And so let me first of all say that I think some people have made mention of the tone and made mention of the way in which it was done. And to be honest with you, I can definitely see that. I can definitely see the tweets were very pointed. Um, They were very quick after the article. It it almost seemed as though she was confused by anyone liking the article, which, which can, whether she intends it to or not, probably Uh, rub people the wrong way. So I definitely understand that. But as far as the substance, um, I think she was very much so right on with a number of the things that she said, particularly about power dynamics, um, Hmm. particularly about, you know, some of the ways in which people of color have been saying these, these things for years and centuries, um, particularly about the way in which there seems to be kind of this Trump panic, but I don't know if necessarily all of it applied to Dr. Moore's article. Mm-hmm. I think maybe a full treatise of Dr. Moore's article in a responding article or a contrasting article, or maybe even an extending article would be helpful. 
Um, I, I don't think she wants to completely bury Dr. Moore, but it was a very direct um, contrast and a direct uh, just counter argument to some of the things that he was saying. But some of it resonated with me very strong, especially the power dynamics. And I think we're all generally tired of having the conversation that doesn't lead to action, that doesn't talk about yeah. what are we actually going to do. You know, I think we sometimes applaud um, our white brothers and sisters, and I think we should in many ways, but I think maybe sometimes, uh, you know, some of us feel that it would be premature, right? Don't applaud us for just, just talking about it. You know, what are we actually going to do to kind of abdicate some of these power um, uh, power dynamics and, and power positions and, and give, you know, ethnic minorities a chance at the same thing so that we can affect true change in American Christianity. So that I resonated with. It wasn't perfect, but <laughs> I think this was a situation where I could take from both and kind of see, well, neither was perfect, but I think this right. is the diversity of the body of Christ. Yeah, so just to be specific, if folks didn't follow on Twitter, I pulled up a few of Christina Cleveland's tweets. And she's, the first one says, I'm confused. Why are people cheering this, meaning Moore's article in the New York Times? Why are people cheering this on? It has so many problems, dot, dot, dot. And then she goes into, I think, nine different tweets. And she says, evangelicalism slash Christianity is still white because whites hold all of the power. Uh, two, black and brown spaces are the center of gravity for Christianity, but white spaces are the, still the center of Christian power. Um, three, Very nice or resonate with me. Yeah, yeah, that's what you were saying. And then she goes on to say, too little, too late, this quote-unquote wake-up call has more to do with panic around Trump than actual justice. Four, there's no discussion of power dynamics or call to white Christians to abdicate power. Five, call for more multi-ethnic churches, which are long known to be transmitters of white supremacy. I actually wrote an article about this in Christianity Today, um, basically talking talking about Corey Edwards' research um, that shows that even in a multi-ethnic church setting, culturally, it trends much more toward white cultural dynamics in terms of music, dress, language, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, this was interesting. I think, and I think someone else said this, sort of right critique, wrong target is my take on it. Where where all the things that she's saying, I've seen to be true in various different instances where white people have attempted to kind of wade into the waters of racial reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And particularly, like you said, the power dynamics uh, are 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 true and and one particular manifestation of that in case people are wondering is when you talk about race who do you let lead the conversation is it right. still oh, white people yeah yeah <laughs> is it still white people who who you know are on a a different side of the power dynamic or do you let the marginalized take the lead in the conversation as people who have not only experienced it, but have been thinking and talking and writing about this for centuries. Um, so when you talk about power, power dynamics, where is racial reconciliation? Uh, where is that led in terms of, of the thought and the theology? Not to say that whites don't have a place, white people don't have a place in it, but that's one of the ways you can proactively share power in a way that hasn't historically been done. But yeah. I will say, you know, wrong target in the sense, number one, 
you know, this is a, a blog or a post with limited space, and so obviously more can't get into all the dynamics there. Um, two, we have to recognize just the fact that a, a, cons- a, a theologically and socially conservative Christian is writing in a venue like the New York Times, which is avowed. Well, as, that is a powerful sentiment. Yeah, that's a powerful, a powerful sentiment. sentiment. And then lastly, Russell Moore, you know, this he he's not as new to this conversation as many white Christians. Um, one poignant example, we did an interview with him. It was it was just me on the show, but we did a pass the mic episode with him, I think um uh, in April 2015 or somewhere around there. Yep. And yep. he told the story. You needed to come to the conference. This was the ERLC summit and it was on racial reconciliation. But what a lot of people don't know is it didn't start out with that theme with the, the, the events of Ferguson and Eric Garner and so many similar events of unarmed black people being killed by law enforcement or in other circumstances Russell Moore went to his staff a couple months out from the conference after they had already been planning it on a different theme. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, I know you're going to hate me, but I think we really need to tackle the topic of race and the gospel at this conference. So would you follow me and would you help me revamp this conference so we address issues of race and racial mm-hmm. reconciliation. And they did. And he did that. And he took that stance. And that's just one of many examples. I, I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the the Confederate flag. He's from Mississippi. We still have the Confederate Canton on, on the state flag, the only state in the Union that still has it. He's come out boldly against that. And there are a lot of different ways. So, again, proper critiques, for sure, in various right. instances. I don't know if this was the, the, the place to, you know, plant your flag in the ground. Right. Now, and and I think what's dangerous, I think, also about social media is the the way in which it divides us into tribes. And Ooh. the joke is, you know, Team Cap, Team Iron Man, it's similar to that. But really, it's not a laughing matter at all in the sense that as we pursue racial reconciliation, there has to be at least in some way, shape or form, humility and grace given to, to whatever your opinion is, um, knowing that the only way we will move forward in unity is if we give a little, a little room and a little space um, for the other person who we're talking to to be human. And, yeah. and so I was uncomfortable, I think, with my reaction only because um, I'm such a big Christina Cleveland fan and Disunity yeah. in Christ. Disunity in such, Christ is the book she wrote, yeah. yep. It, it's such a huge book in Very as far helpful. as shaping shaping my view on social dynamics and 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 how that plays into the church and it hit so many points that I felt like man I'm guilty of some of these things and and maybe my appreciation and deep uh, respect for her outweighed some of the things that that you just said you know maybe it did and and maybe for other people their familiarity with Dr. Moore led them to quickly defend and dismiss um, uh, Christina Cleveland's points. You know, I don't know. And, and I think, you know, we have, to, we have to have some sort of humility as far as 
our tendency to be tribal. And we're not yeah. talking about Democrats and Republicans here. We're all part of the body of Christ. So that is, you know, without sounding triumphalistic or idealistic, I think that is something we must consider. But the bigger point is something you wrote on and ran, which is how do we deal with and treat our white brothers and sisters as they make mistakes in this conversation or yeah. as they begin to speak out and speak out very imperfectly um, or speak out in ways that we feel are too limited or not going far enough. Well, so there's there's this tension because oftentimes you'll hear ethnic minorities and, uh, of course, African-Americans uh, talking about sort of white silence. And, and in fact, this was sort of the gist of Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail 50 years ago, and him saying that it was the silence of people, of white Christians, uh, that was more painful than kind of the rhetoric of racists. And yeah. in, in, in a certain degree, we're still dealing with that. And whatever latest racial incident crops up, and unfortunately, they're all too frequent, a lot of times... Uh, minorities are 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 standing there with their hands up, looking around, and like, where are my white brothers and sisters at? And we talked about yeah. this, white allies and things like that. And so, on the one hand, we're calling for more from white Christians, more of them speaking up, more of them challenging the status quo, more of them joining the joining the war for racial mm-hmm. justice. And yet, when they do that, like Russell Moore and many others have done. Um, uh, oftentimes there's 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 not just like constructive critique but a barrage of criticism that acknowledges almost nothing good about what they've attempted to do and 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 I hate that I even have to say mm-hmm. this but it's it's so it's so necessary for me to say that I am not saying that we don't critique um our white brothers and sisters when they get right. it wrong about race, even when they're trying to do good. So you can be sincere and sincerely wrong. And I, I, that happens often um, in these kinds of conversations. But I wrote a post called Supporting White Christians When They Attempt to Work for Racial Justice. And, and, and the Bible— Yeah, you know. <laughs> but I think the Bible verse that was so relevant— comes from Colossians 3, 12 through 14, and it says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so yeah, yeah. if we if we apply those hmm. verses heavy man heavy bro I'm just like I'm constrained by the gospel in that sense that if we apply those verses to our brothers and sisters our white brothers and sisters in Christ who are trying stumbling imperfectly to speak up for racial justice and racial reconciliation then I have to give grace I have to give forgiveness and it doesn't mean uh, forsaking the truth. It doesn't mean affirming error, uh, but it does mean doing so in a spirit, a spirit of humility and forgiveness and patience. And I think that changes the tone and tenor of our critique. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So that wasn't the only angle. And I think mm-hmm. you've given a good word there for us to remember. Um, sure. So I'll let you have the last word there, uh, Jamar. It's not going to happen again, but I'll let you have the Boom. last word. I'm kidding. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so there was another angle, and the object or one of the objects of Dr. Moore's article is Donald Trump. So Donald Trump actually tweeted about Dr. Moore, and that was stunning to say the least. Um, he he gave. <laughs> The, the following tweet, and let me pull it up here because I think this is very interesting. Uh, he basically called him a um, a nasty guy. And why can I not find the tweet? Oh, I've got it. I've he got said, it. Here it is. Here it is. He said, Russell Moore is truly a terrible representative of evangelicals and all of the good they stand for. A nasty guy with no heart. What? Um, <laughs> so the first thing is, uh, as many people have said, and despite whatever misgivings you may have about Dr. Moore's article or, you know, pushback or, or healthy feedback and critique, what an honor to be tweeted by Donald Trump and him to tell you <laughs> what an honor. I mean, that's one of those things that you don't understand. That's a compliment. You know, like, <laughs> yes, you call me a nasty guy. Great. I mean, I think for a lot of people, that would be more like a badge of honor rather than uh, shame. So. Uh, that's the first thing. But then also, how did this get on his radar? And how did this get? I mean, what do you yeah. think? What do you think prompted Donald Trump, if we can go inside his mind, which is a scary thought to yeah. tweet this? <laughs> well, so I think it was so. So Russell Moore has not this. He's not a new critic of Trump now that he's the presumptive nominee from the beginning, like for the past year. Uh, since Trump has 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 made his announcement that he's entered the race and he's made all of these polemical, racist, bigoted, xenophobic comments, Russell Moore has been a vocal critic of him. And so it's it's really surprising not that it came on in his radar on Trump's radar, but that he's only spoken out about it now um, because he's had, you know, 10, 12 months uh to to address this from Russell Moore. I think it really was the New York Times article because it was such a large outlet. It had so much circulation, right. particularly among Christians, and it was overtly, explicitly critical of Donald Trump. And so I'm assuming because I think the tweet came out the day after that. Yes, it did. Uh, yes. Yes. So I'm assuming they were connected. And it just his his critique doesn't make any sense. He's got no heart. I mean, <laughs> just a straight, just an ad hominem, uh, just just a just a yeah. basic ad hominem. Uh, no 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 substance. Uh, nothing. Just no no points. No principles. No counter arguments. No principles. No <laughs> no evidence. And terrible representation know. of evangelicals. And so my question, I guess, would be. Who is a good representation of evangelicals? Is it just the people Ooh. who support, support Donald Trump? Um, uh, well, I'm sure he's, this, you know, I'm sure he's very, very positively disposed toward Jerry Falwell Jr., um, president of uh, Liberty University, and you a. You said it, not me. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, you, 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 what kind of evangelical Christian? The Jerry yeah. Falwell Jr. kind, who endorses him yeah. and had one of his board members resign over the endorsement recently. Um, and so, and so, I've seen in several articles that Donald Trump is popular among Christians who do not regularly attend church, which is telling. Well, uh, so, also a Pew Research uh, Center poll said that, what was it, half of white evangelicals think that Trump would be, uh, half to over half, believe that he would be a good or great president. 
um, which is a scary thought, you know, and I think yeah. much of that was driven by uh, party lines. So political ideology drove much of that because there were some others that maybe ranked ahead of him, uh, like Dr. Ben Carson or Senator Ted Cruz. But Donald Trump, he he was also in that same range, maybe a couple of percentage points off. So so, yeah, I think a lot of the people who would vote for um, Trump now are kind of more along party lines. They're going to vote, you know, the Republican Party, the ticket regardless, you know, which is, I think, why Donald Trump had kind of the the idea of tweeting about Russell Moore. Um, his insults have worked before. Um, no. They've kind of chopped people down. Many people, a fellow running mates or um, or just people who are critics of him from, you know, Mitt Romney uh, to others. They've worked before, but it I don't think it worked this time. <laughs> I think Dr. Moore um, flipped the script on him in a way that was truly, to pardon the cliche, but gospel-centered. Yeah, well, he had, Russell Moore had a response on CNN. He went on a show, and it was funny. I called it, this is this is what you call a, a gospel clapback, because... It was on uh, Anderson Cooper. Yeah. Yeah, Anderson Cooper. And 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 so Anderson Cooper asks about, you know, Donald Trump's tweet and how, and what Russell Moore thought about it and he's like, "You know, Donald Trump's right. I am wretched and low, and that's why I need the gospel." It was just like this great Jesus juke on national TV. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely yeah. juking. But it was true. Yeah, you know, and but I think zooming out a little bit just from not not focusing on this particular incident in isolation, but just what's happening among conservatives and the Republic Party, Republican Party in general. I, as an African-American, feel like sort of a spectator in all of this because, and other people have said this far more eloquently than I will, but minorities, ethnic minorities have been saying that the kind of ideas that Trump is pushing and promoting have been present forever. And it's usually there in private conversations when minorities aren't around. But Donald Trump is is one of the few and certainly one of the ones with the biggest platforms who is making those ideas publicly known. Yeah, um, specifically, but, the, the response to dissent or the response to nonviolent protests with violence or the encouragement of violence, the encouragement of, of any sort of you know, coded language to describe yes. whether whether any sort of minority, I mean, not just African-Americans, but it, obviously our, our Hispanic brothers and sisters in, in spades have received, been on the receiving end of some very bigoted uh, code words and code language. Um, so really any anything that would resemble that has, has been pushed by Trump. And it's also talking about women. It's also talking about the disabled. There's there's a number of different things that he said that I think should should alarm us. But you're right. This has been in 2012. It's, it's no it's no secret. I've said this before. But in 2012, I watched the Republican National uh, Convention and left the party because I didn't see that anyone was talking to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I went out and registered independent the next week. And mm -hmm. because no one was talking to me, I didn't see anyone who looked like me um, or very few people who look like me. Um, I know that year they had um, Condoleezza Rice. She was, she was, I believe, the main speaker, keynote speaker. She was um, a sprinkle in a sea of white. And I didn't, 
man, I, I, I said, what is this? I mean, you, the language and the, the words that were used and the code language to describe our president was highly uncomfortable for me. And hmm. we've been saying this for years. This yes. is not new. Many, many uh, Christian African-Americans and many Christians in the black community are very socially conservative and very, very fiscally much. conservative, yes. you know? Um, but that does not take precedence over human dignity, right? Like there's that tension. So good. It it reminds me of the dynamic, this this political dynamic uh, reminds me of the, the, the theological dynamic. So I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. There are a lot of African-Americans who are very socially conservative. A lot of that arises from Christian beliefs and, mm. and um, beliefs from the scriptures. However, like you're saying, in the Republican Party, it seems like no one is speaking to the situation or interests of African Americans. And, and it's interesting, the company we find ourselves, because I think part of the support for Trump comes from kind of white working class people who have felt in a way similar that that the Republican leaders weren't speaking to their interests, but that's a sidebar. But right, I think no, the theolo- <laughs> I think the theological parallel is if you look at reformed theology, mm. it's not that African Americans have had big issues with the theology. Like it's not like black folks don't believe don't in the sovereignty, sovereignty and yeah. providence of God <laughs> exactly. or, or the you know the infallibility of the Bible. That's not the issue. It's the fact that when you go to church or a denominational meeting or a conference, your core concerns, your culture is not only not represented, it doesn't seem to be valued. Mm. And that's what pushes minorities away from reformed circles. It's not the theology per se, just like with uh, the the political ideology. It's not the ideology per se, but it's the culture of the party that's pushing minorities away. And so I'm standing sort Mm. of on the outside looking in and saying, you know, in a way it's good because now white conservative Christians finally have to reckon with how the party, how the Republican Party has largely overlooked and ignored, um, except when it suits them, the concerns of ethnic minorities. And I think it's a good thing uh, because all the reports, all the lost elections, that hasn't done it yet. (laughs) But Donald Trump has started to do that, at least with some people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a very interesting wake-up call to those who would say, well, um, well, I'm not going to get into that. I won't, I won't get into that. But I'll say this, that maybe a direct attack of a leader of a Christian denomination should wake us up. And it should mm-hmm. make us feel very uncomfortable with the future of our relationship with someone who would so brazenly and you know, used an ad hominem on social media with regards to a leader of of one of our denominations, uh, to a brother in Christ. Let's 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 humanize it. Let's bring it down to brass tacks. Doctor Moore's a brother in Christ, and yeah. if you talk about my brother, you know what I mean. So yeah. I mean, it should yeah. it should at least make us wake up and say, whoa! If you were considering supporting this guy, how does this make you feel? And I'd actually love to hear from maybe some Trump supporters. Honestly, wow! How does All this right. make feel you know that this person talked 
uh, about your brother in Christ, someone who has pushed the gospel forward in many ways and has been such a valuable member of so many conversations and leader of them. How does this make you feel about the future of a Trump presidency? You know, how does this make you feel about 2017 and beyond if he were to win? So I think that is something that should definitely be considered. Well, I'll tell you what, judging by the rhetoric on social media, I'll admit, I don't know personally many Trump supporters, or at least I, they haven't said it. <laughs> um, but judging by the rhetoric on social media, this critique will sort of embolden them to critique a guy like Russell Moore, right. which is which is one of the reasons why I think it's important for African-Americans and ethnic minority Christians to support white folks who are speaking out publicly for racial justice and racial reconciliation, because they're starting to, to feel the heat, too. I mean, part of what it means to be an ally is that you take the blows and you take the wounds right along with ethnic minorities. And I can tell you, um, a guy like Russell Moore and many others, you know, there I could name uh, Matt Chandler, Ligon Duncan, Sean Michael Lucas, Not many Alan others, Noble. Alan Noble, who are who are engaged in this as well. They are getting hits from other white folks, whether yeah. Christians or not. Oh, yeah. And we as ethnic minorities of all people should understand what that feels like and should be should be supportive of brothers and sisters who have voluntarily taken on the burdens of other people. And again, I'm not saying that we cannot critique their attempts because oftentimes these blind spots are so implicit and so ingrained that even well-meaning white Christians who are trying to speak into issues of race perpetuate problems. Um, they try to help, but they're actually hurt, hurting. Uh, so I'm not saying we can't critique and point out those blind spots, but I am saying, like I said earlier, that we do that in a sort of a spirit of support. I'll also say on the flip side, if Christians, uh, particularly white Christians, are wading into the conversation about racial justice with a self-righteous attitude, like, look at how look, good I man. am. Look, you man. Know, look. That's when you, no. you know, you know how Jesus responded to the Pharisees. And, and, and this is and this is, to be honest, a, an issue that really everyone should hear, not just our white brothers and sisters. Yeah. But if you're having this conversation because it's the cool, hip, new conversation. Yeah. Oh, stop talking. Just listen. Pray. Like, make sure your heart <laughs> is, you know, in this conversation. This is not a, a, a light matter. You know, this is not a conversation that should just be a fad or something that we engage in because that's where the culture is going. So now we read you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates, and we, we quote Old Testament scriptures about justice, and we read the new Jim Crow, and, you know, we listen to, to Pass the Mic, and, you know, now keep listening to Pass the Mic, but what I'm saying is, you know what I'm saying, that this is just yeah. a situation where it's easy to be caught up in the fad, and don't get caught up in the fad, you know, let your heart be moved by this, and if it's honestly not, um, pray that the Lord would give you guidance and wisdom, and that he would give you eyes to see and ears to hear, and yeah. Just there's no need for self-righteousness in this conversation. It it won't produce the unity that we really need as a church. And the faddishness, the the fad of it all will wear off because if you are truly engaged in this work, you will be critiqued and attacked so much that if you're not truly about it, uh, you're gonna say forget it. Um, it was funny. I was talking to my wife tonight, 
about a I can't even remember what Facebook post I put up, but somebody had posted an ignorant comment, my opinion, ignorant comment in response to it. And she's like, who is that person who said who said that ignorant thing? I'm like, um, which which comment are you talking about? Because it's become so commonplace, whether on Twitter or Facebook or the blog on randnetwork.org to get those kinds of comments that I'm like, I, I've, I've lost track. I don't know who you're talking about anymore. So people who are in it for the wrong reasons, when they start to take those blows, you know, their true motivations will come out, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> we'll definitely reveal it. Man, I've just been I've just been so moved by where the conversation is going, right? Where is this conversation going? Because to be honest, there is a, a shift and a change, and part of it is extremely positive in the sense that mm-hmm. more people are listening, but it also requires that we use wisdom and 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 maintain biblical faithfulness and maintain gospel centrality and lift up Jesus as the example and all these fundamental things that we like to kind of put as the ABCs of Christianity, they must be consistent throughout our the way we talk, the way we interact with other people, and the way that we present the message of, of the gospel and truth to outsiders. So even, even Trump supporters, even those as we enter into this election cycle, heavily contentious, you know, we have to keep those things front of mind and front and center in everything that we do. So um, it's just sobering to think about, but you know, we, we're praying for Dr. Moore and, and everyone who is engaging in this conversation as as their names get out there and the attacks keep on coming. We're here. Yeah, we are. And uh, I think you raise a good point. We need grace on all sides. We need grace as people, you know, on a podcast and and and, and writing blogs and, and, and a website that we don't always get it right. Um, but I think that tension is in a way good because we can demonstrate unity in the midst of diversity unity in the midst of tension and i think to a watching world that is compelling that commends the gospel as real and authentic and from jesus christ himself because the world can't do that in the way that christians can so we're united what unites us is much stronger than what divides us we're united in the spirit those bonds are stronger than biology, um, we're, they're they're stronger than biological blood. They're, there's the supernatural cleansing blood of Christ that keeps us together. So hopefully we can model that, even if imperfectly through ran and pass the mic. Uh, we do encourage our white brothers and sisters who are learning about this and wanting to do something. Go ahead, you'll mess up. We'll tell you when you mess up, but. We'll try to oh, love and support you. <laughs> Tyler especially will tell you. Anger translator here. Um, but uh, but yeah, we're, we're in this together, and I firmly believe that we cannot— I mean, there's no reconciliation without another party or parties. And uh, thanks be to God that, that because of the vertical reconciliation in Christ, we have already grasped— horizontal reconciliation and we just need to live into it and realize it so that's a good word man listen we want you guys to continue the conversation as jamar was saying you can reach out to us on twitter i'm at burns 23 jamar is at jamar tisby um you can reach out to the podcast at underscore past the mic 
also at Rand Network on Twitter. We want you to follow us on Facebook as well, like us, uh, facebook.com forward slash reforms, African Americans. We also want you to really reach out to our Pass the Mic private group. We want you to join that group. If this is a conversation that you are passionate about, there's a lot of conversation there. There's, it's not just all reformed African Americans, not all reformed believers, not all African Americans. Um, it's, a, it's a healthy mix. And I think you'll find that you'll be very refreshed and encouraged by just getting some things off your chest, maybe asking some questions, listening and watching, and then getting some information as well. We want you guys to keep up with us on iTunes by subscribing to the podcast, also rating and reviewing us. That puts us in front of more eyes and ears. Um, leave us a comment. Drop us a line. We'll definitely read your review live on air, live to the tape, on air, on the Pass the Mic podcast. And um, also you can subscribe to us on the Satchel app as well, which we've talked about so much. Uh, we have an exciting episode, as Jamar was talking about, coming up about the Black Panther superhero with myself and Bo York. You also have an interview coming up with uh, my favorite rapper, Show Baraka, um, and some others as well. So we want you guys to stay um, it's locked in to pass the mic and tunes in for all the things that are coming. Sounds good, man. We got a lot of good things coming up. So much good stuff to talk about. So stay plugged in and thanks for listening. That's right. And we'll see you soon on the next Pass, pass the Mic. mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y.com. This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.